Section 11 of Little Journeys to the Homes of American Statesmen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Betty B. Little Journeys to the Homes of American Statesmen by Albert Hubbard. Part 2. Section 11. At the home of Adams at Braintree, Hancock had met a quiet, taciturn individual by the name of Samuel Adams. This man he had long known in a casual way, but had never been able really to make his acquaintance. He was fifteen years older than Hancock, and by his quiet dignity and self-possession made quite an impression on the young man. So, now that prosperity had smiled, Hancock invited him to his house, but the quiet man was an ascetic, and neither played cards drank wine nor danced and so declined with thanks but not long after he requested a small loan from the merchant prince and asked it as though it were his right and so he got it his manner was in such opposition to the flatterers and those who crawled and whined and begged that hancock was pleased with the man samuel adams had declined hancock's social favors and yet in asking for a loan showed his friendliness samuel adams was a politician and had long taken an active part in the town meetings in fact to get a measure through it was well to have samuel adams at your side he was clear-headed astute and knew the human heart yet he talked but little and the convivial ways of the small politician were far from him but in the fine art that can manage men and never let them know they are managed he was a past master tucked in his sleeve no doubt was a degree of pride in his power but the stoic quality in his nature never allowed him to break into laughter when he considered how he led men by the nose in boston and its vicinity samuel adams was not highly regarded and outside of boston at forty years of age he was positively unknown the neighbors regarded him as a harmless fanatic sane on most subjects but possessed of a buzzing bee in his bonnet to the effect that the colonies should be separated from their protector england samuel adams neglected his business and kept up a fusillade of articles in the newspapers on various political subjects and men who do this are regarded everywhere as queer a professional newspaper writer never takes his calling seriously it is business he writes to please his employer or if he owns the paper himself he still writes to please his employer that is to say the public journalism thy name is pander the man who comes up the stairway furtively with the manuscript he wants printed is in dead earnest and he has excited the ridicule wrath or pity of editors for three hundred years such a one was samuel adams his wife did her own work and the grocer with bills in his hand often grew red in the face and knocked in vain and yet the keen intellect of samuel adams was not a thing to smile at any man who stood before him face to face felt the power of the man and acknowledged it there and then as we always do when we stand in the presence of a strong individuality and this inward acknowledgment of worth was instinctively made by john hancock the biggest man in all boston town 
john hancock through his genial glowing personality and his lavish spending of money was very popular he was being fed on flattery and the more a man gets of flattery once the taste is acquired the more he craves it is like the mad thirst for liquor or the romaiki habit john hancock was getting attention and he wanted more he had been chosen selectman to fill the place that his uncle had occupied and when samuel adams accidentally dropped a remark that good men were needed in the general court john hancock agreed with him he was named for the office and with samuel adams help was easily elected not long after this the sloop liberty was seized by the government officials for violation of the revenue laws the craft was owned by john hancock and had surreptitiously landed a cargo of wine without paying duty when the ship of boston's chief citizen was seized by the bumptious gilt-braided british officials there was a merry uproar all the men in the shipyards quit work and the cockers club of which samuel adams was secretary passed hot resolutions and revolutionary preambles and eulogies of john hancock who was doing so much for boston in fact there was a riot and three regiments of british troops were ordered to boston and this was the very first step on the part of england to enforce her authority by arms in america the troops were in the town to preserve order but the mob would not disperse upon the soldiers they heaped every indignity and insult they dared them to shoot and with clubs and stones drove the soldiers before them at last the troops made a stand and in order to save themselves from absolute rout fired a volley five men fell dead and the mob dispersed this was the so-called boston massacre pinkerton guards would blush at bagging so small a game with a volley they have done better again and again at pittsburgh pottsville and chicago the riot was quelled and out of the scrimmage various suits were instigated by the crown against john hancock in the court of admiralty the claims against him amounted to over three hundred thousand dollars and the charge was that he had long been evading the revenue laws john adams was his attorney with samuel adams as counsel and vigorous efforts for prosecution and defense were being made if the crown were successful the suits would confiscate the entire hancock estate matters were getting in a serious way witnesses were summoned but the trial was staved off from time to time hancock had refused to follow samuel adams lead in the controversy with governor hutchinson as to the right to convene the general court the report was that john hancock was growing lukewarm and siding with the tories a year had passed since the massacre had occurred and the agitators proposed to commemorate the day colonel hancock had appeared in many prominent parts but never as an orator why not show the town what you can do someone said so john hancock was invited to deliver the oration he did so to an immense concourse the address was read from the written page it overflowed with wisdom and patriotism and the earnestness and eloquence of the well-rounded periods was the talk of the town the knowing ones went around corners and roared with laughter but samuel adams said not a word the charge was everywhere made by the captious and bickering that the speech was written by another and that moreover john hancock had not even 
a very firm hold on its import it was the one speech of his life anyway it so angered general gage that he removed colonel hancock from his command of the cadets an order was out for hancock's arrest and he and samuel adams were in hiding the british troops marched out to lexington to capture them but paul revere was two hours ahead and when the redcoats arrived the birds had flown then came the expulsion of the british the closing of all courts the admiralty included the merchant prince breathed easier and that was the last of the crown versus john hancock throughout the months that had gone before when the hancock mansion was gay with floral decorations and servants in livery stood at the door with silver trays and the dancing hall was bright with mirth and music samuel adams had quietly been working his bureau of correspondence to the end that the thirteen colonies of america should come together in convention chief mover of the plan and the one man in massachusetts who was giving all his time to it he dictated whom massachusetts should send as delegates this delegation as we know included john hancock john adams and samuel adams himself from the danger of lexington hancock and adams made their way to philadelphia to attend the second congress at that time the rich men of new england were hurriedly making their way into the english fold some thought that the mother country had been harsh but still england had only acted within her right and she was well able to back up this authority she had regiment upon regiment of trained fighting men warships and money to build more the colonies had no army no ships no capital only those who have nothing to lose can afford to resist lawful authority back into the fold they went penitent and under their breath cursing the bull-headed men who insisted on plunging the country into red war out in the cold world stood john hancock alone save for bowden among the aristocrats of new england the british would confiscate his property his splendid house all would be gone it will all be gone anyway calmly suggested samuel adams you know those suits against you in the admiralty court yes yes and if we can unite these thirteen colonies an army can be raised and we can separate ourselves entire in which case there will be glory for somebody john hancock the rich the ambitious the pleasure-loving had burned his bridges he was in the hands of samuel adams and his infamy was one with this man who was a professional agitator and who had nothing to lose general gage had made an offer of pardon to all all save two men samuel adams and john hancock back into the fold tumbled the tories but against john hancock the gates were barred john adams attorney of the hancock estate rubbed his chin and decided to stand by the ship sink or swim survive or perish down in his heart samuel adams grimly smiled but on his cold pale face there was no sign the british held boston secure and in the splendid mansion of hancock lived the rebel lord percy england's pet the furniture plate and keeping of the place was quite to his liking hancock's ambitions grew as the days went by the fight was on his property was in the hands of the british and a price was upon his head he too now had nothing to lose 
if england could be whipped he would get his property back and the honors of victory would be his beside ambition grew apace he studied the manual of arms as never before and made himself familiar with the lives of caesar and alexander at harvard he had read the anabasis on compulsion but now he read it with zest the second congress was a congress of action the first had been one merely of conference a presiding officer was required and samuel adams quietly pushed his man to the front he let it be known that hancock was the richest man in new england perhaps in america and a power in every emergency john hancock was given the office of presiding officer the place of honor the thought never occurred to him that the man on the floor is the man who acts and the individual in the chair is only a referee an onlooker of the contest when a man is chosen to preside he is safely out of the way and no one knew this better than that clear-headed man wise as a serpent samuel adams hancock was intent on being chosen commander of the continental army the war was in massachusetts her principal port closed all business at a standstill hancock was a soldier and was moreover the chief citizen of massachusetts the command should go to him samuel adams knew this could never be to hold the southern colonies and give the cause a show of reason before the world an aristocrat with something to lose and without a personal grievance must be chosen and the man must be from the south to get hancock in a position where his mouth would be stopped he was placed in the chair it was a master move colonel george washington was already a hero he had fought valiantly for england his hands were clean while hancock was openly called a smuggler washington was nominated by john adams the motion was seconded by samuel adams hancock turned first red and then deathly pale he grasped the arms of his chair with both hands and put the question it was unanimous hancock's fame seems to rest on the fact that he was presiding officer of the congress that passed the declaration of independence and therefore its first signer and without consideration for cost of ink and paper wrote his name in poster letters when you look upon the declaration the first thing you see is the signature of john hancock and you recall his remark i guess king george can read that without spectacles the whole action was melodramatic and although a bold signature has ever been said to betoken a bold heart it has yet to be demonstrated that boys who whistle going through the woods are indifferent to danger conscious weakness takes strong attitudes says delsart the strength of hancock's signature was an affectation quite in keeping with his habit of riding about boston in a coach and six with outriders in uniform and servants in livery when hancock wrote to washington asking for an appointment in the army the wise and far-seeing chief replied with gentle words of praise concerning colonel hancock's record and wound up by saying that he regretted there was no place at his disposal worthy of colonel hancock's qualifications well did he know that hancock was not quite patriot enough to fill a lowly rank the part that hancock played in the eight years of war was inconspicuous however there was little spirit of revenge in his character 
he sometimes scolded but he did not hate he never allowed personal animosities to make him waver in his loyalty to independence in fact with a price upon his head but one course was open to him just before washington was inaugurated president he visited boston and a curious struggle took place between him and hancock who was governor it was all a question of etiquette which should make the first call each side played a waiting game and at last hancock's gout came in as an excellent excuse and the country was saved in one of his letters hancock says the entire genteel portion of the town was invited to my house while on the sidewalk i had a cask of madeira for the common people his repeated re-election as governor proves his popularity through lavish expenditure his fortune was much reduced and for many years he was sorely pressed for funds his means being tied up in unproductive ways his last triumph as governor was to send a special message to the legislature informing that body that a company of aliens and foreigners have entered the state and the metropolis of government and under advertisements insulting to all good men and ladies have been pleased to invite them to attend certain stage plays interludes and theatrical entertainments under the style and appellation of moral lectures all of which must be put a stop to to once and the rogues and varlets punished a few days after this the aliens and foreigners gave a presentation of sheridan's school for scandal in the midst of the performance the sheriff and a posse made a rush upon the stage and bagged all the offenders when their trial came on the next day the varlets and vagrams had secured high-level talent to defend them one of which counsel was harrison gray otis the actors were discharged on the slim technicality that the warrants of arrest had not been properly verified however the theatre was closed but the common people made such an unseemly howl about rights and all that that the legislature made haste to repeal the law which provided that play-actors should be flogged hancock defaulted in his stewardship as treasurer of harvard college and only escaped arrest for embezzlement through the fact that he was governor of the state and no process could be served upon him after his death his estate paid nine years simple interest on his deficit and ten years thereafter the principal was paid his widow married captain scott who was long in hancock's employ as master of a brig and we find the worthy caption proudly exclaiming i have embarked on the sea of matrimony and am now at the helm of the hancock mansion no biography of governor hancock has ever been written the record of his life flutters only in newspaper paragraphs letters and chance mention in various diaries hancock did not live to see john adams president worn by worry and grown old before his time he died at the early age of fifty-six of a combination of gout and that unplebeian complaint we now term bright's disease thirty-three years after hale old john adams down at quincy spoke of him as a clever fellow a bit spoiled by a legacy whom i used to know in my younger days he left no descendants and his heirs were too intent on being in at the death to care for his memory they neither preserved the data of his life nor over his grave placed a headstone 
the monument that now marks his resting place was recently erected by the state of massachusetts he was buried in the old granary burying ground on tremont street and only a step from his grave sleeps his friend samuel adams end of section eleven